Pamela Ochoa. Boy, do I have a question for you today. My question is, do you remember a time when you were legit fooled on April Fool's Day? I was actually fooled on April Fool's Day? Yeah, something got you. Hmm. <laughs> it's probably not a good question. I don't remember. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm really fooled. <laughs> I guess I guess that's the thing. If you were really fooled, you might not know. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know. I think there is nothing popping into this brain regarding April Fools. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Craft and Draft. That's Pamela Joe Jacob Chastain. And that's the He's, shortest question. You... <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to rephrase your question to another one. <laughs> no, we're going. We're in. We're in. Well, April Fools, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you just thought we were going to have a question today. <laughs> oh, this is Craft the Drum. We talk about reading and writing workshop. We love what we do. Oh, we love our listeners and we have fun on the podcast. I learned something today. You ready? Before I, I thank all of our Patreon supporters, there's apparently a moment that we forgot to cut out in the last episode, Ochoa, that I've already switched oh. for anyone that goes back and listens. It's gone, but... For our subscribers and people who follow us regularly, they probably heard it. But there's a part where my wife walks in and... Oh, you forgot to do that? Yes, I told you to remind me! I did! I wrote it down and I even said it. <laughs> I said, number 18, it's, it's right here. We're, right we're, we're running minutes. a really professional ship over here, okay? That's what we're doing at Craft and Draft. <laughs> 18 minutes. Yeah, it was. It was about it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. So oh. I fixed it. But everyone, you know, you get a little insight into the things that are happening during a podcast. <laughs> Usually we cut them out. But I guess at this point, we're just going to leave everything in. So it is what it is. Shout out to the wonderful listener who let me know that I did not cut that out. They are top tier. Like, couldn't even imagine anyone better. But with that said, this podcast is available and alive and keeps going because of our patreon supporters they keep the lights on they give us a few dollars every single month to get bonus access to episodes content direct questions to us and so much more including videos training videos and everything else we're about to drop another training video today about how we go through and or find a text that fits the standard. So we modeled that. That's going to be posted. So if that's something you're interested in, jump to the listener plus tier. You can go see that. If not, jump to the listener tier. You get bonus episodes. There's like literally so many great topics that we've hit, so many great bonus episodes. So if you like this, you want more, go join us on Patreon, just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, and Matt all do. If you can't do that, if you don't have a couple dollars to toss our way, that is okay. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes. That subscription really does help. Leave a review if you like this. Tell everyone else that this podcast is legit by doing that, hitting that star button, typing a couple kind words if you would like, and let other people know that Craft and Draft is a place to be when we're talking about literacy. But today, before we jump to 
podcast. I want to tell you that we're going to be talking about sinners today. This has probably come up in previous episodes, but, you know, sinners gets gets roped into workshop a lot. And so we're going to express our thoughts on that. I'm sure they're going to be all over the place. So welcome to Craft the Draft, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Yochoa. That was a fun intro. You're welcome. <laughs> Shortest question. We're already at the topic and it's four minutes in. I don't know what that I'm is... doing. Usually we're like 10 minutes in. Right. Because it's usually philosophical what you have to say. I bet if I ask you that question, you'd have an answer. Yeah. Well, you know, you just, you know, messed you? up. You're you. It's okay. <laughs> I'm usually, I don't know. I mean, I know it's, no, April it's too Fool's late. Don't go back to the question now. We're past it. It's over. But I don't know. We have, we have moved on. The ship has All right. sailed. All right. We're on the ocean blue. We're about to land okay. in India. Oh, in India. All right. That's where we think we're going. That <laughs> <laughs> <But> April Fool's. <laughs> we're going other places. <laughs> All right, Ochoa. Sinners. Here, here's the thing. You know what? Let's ask. I feel like we've asked this question a lot, but I want to ask it again. Why is workshop such a difficult term to nail down? Why are there so many interpretations about what this means? Why? I don't get it. I don't know. I think it's. Um, I, I think it's this idea of allowing the students to work. Uh, freely versus having some control over what the f- students are doing. And I think it's just so difficult to let go of that control. And uh, so I think down in elementary, they call it centers. And I think, I think that I don't think we're talking about the cent- are, are we the centers they use like in first, second, third grade, where they, they get to go and explore. No. I don't think that's what we're talking about. Right. No. No, we're more like talking about where you to me, what I think I want to address is when you take a part and you you teach everything in one day, but you still teach it in isolation because this station or center is for this part of the text, whatever. And then this one is this part of the text. And so everybody goes around and then maybe there's a teacher teacher station somewhere where the teacher tries to figure out a way to review or pre-teach or post-teach. And uh, anyway, to me, that's what I'm thinking about. What's your thought there? Yeah. So when we're looking at what sinners mean in this context, it is that it's this, this idea of breaking up task into chunks because kids can't take on the whole task. Like, right. I think it's like, it's fine. Like I, I guess a good preface to this is this isn't an anti sinners conversation. It's if you're talking workshop sinners, isn't that, I think that's where our, our standpoint is. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. And so we're a workshop podcast. We're workshop educators. Um, doesn't mean we don't do other things. Not everything has to be in a workshop format, but really we're addressing this idea that centers is workshop. And so for me, the reason centers isn't is because, or at least it doesn't, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess it could be bent that way, but 
when I see centers at a middle school level or at a high school or maybe late elementary, it's like you said. Here's an article I'm going to hand to you. At this station, you're going to look at vocabulary. At this station, you're going to look at text structure. At this station, you're going to write a response. At this station, you're going to work with the teacher and practice star level questions or standardized level questions. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, where's the workshop? What are they working on? They're doing task for a specific amount of time and then going to the next task. Right. I think that's it. I think when you said task, I think that's where my problem is with it. Well, and that's, I mean, go ahead. No, it's that idea of teaching in isolation with the idea that you think you're teaching in context and you're really not. Yeah, because it is. And here's the thing. Like, are there times where that's completely bad? Sure. Like I said, this isn't an anti-sinners conversation, but it's not workshop because they're not workshopping through anything. They're doing tasks. They're practicing tasks, which is fine. But this is so often, and you and I have run into this over and over and over again, where someone says, oh, yeah, we do workshop. Oh, cool. What's it like? Oh, well, they're going to be five centers where they do what I just described. And you're that's like, exactly. ah. mm-hmm. so, but I don't. I, that's my point, though. Like to go back to my, my initial question to you is. I don't understand why that is so associated with workshop. Like, is there there ha- is there a resource out there that that puts this out like that? I don't know. I mean, because the only resources that I I typically use for workshop would be anything that Donald Graves, Nancy Atwell, and then the workshop book by Susan. All of a sudden, I lost her last name, but she wrote the workshop book, and she talks about routines, and she talks about procedures, and she talks about the mini lesson, the work time, the debrief time. I mean, that is what workshop is typically made of, but nowhere in there are there centers. And I think some people are saying, well, we can put stations or centers in there during their work time. And so now that's work time. So I think it's this idea of what are they doing during work time? And I think it's the pressure, if you will, of administrators maybe, who have their own idea and they like the look of centers because really when you walk into a room and there are centers or stations going on, it, it does look good, you know, especially because everybody's doing something. They're all engaged. They they have a moment in time where it's timed and they get up and move or what have you. And I mean, I think it looks like you really have everything under control. And I think it's a good, I mean, I, th- I think that's what it looks like, but I think it's the pressure actually of what do you do during that work time? And we just don't trust the fact that the students during work time are going to go work. Correct. That is that honestly, like (laughs) everything comes down to that fear, right? Mm -hmm. Everything about workshop from the district level to the teacher level to, to the administrative level to the teacher level is this idea that kids won't work unless you put blinders on them. And I, I, I've seen it not to be true. Mm-hmm. I think the it's the opposite problem. Honestly, I think when you put blinders on kids and you force them into these little boxes, that's when they stop working. That's when they stop. That's when they find out ways to cheat. That's when they find ways to get out of doing the work. That's when they become so disinvested um, that they, 
it's it's a battle. It's like, why don't you want to do this? This is engaging. You can have the most engaging article, the most engaging poem, the most engaging story on the planet. The moment you put all these barriers around them, you have just told them you need to do this a very specific way. And there's nothing less authentic than that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think people some people get trapped in the the mind, uh, the the mind trap that. Well, we got to prepare them for work. You're not always going to be able to choose what you do. It's like, oh, what we're talking about. We're talking about school. We're talking about education. They're, they're not the same thing. Should school at a certain point and should it teach skills that lead to you being able to be employed? Absolutely. Does it need to be that 100% of the time? Absolutely not. In my opinion, I think schools should be messy. I think learning should be messy. I think kids should be able to wrestle with ideas and thoughts and trying to put their words on the page and and try to find themselves in literature and all of these other things that go into this. But when you when you steal all of that away, you get disengagement. You get you get kids who don't see themselves in the learning. You get kids who aren't owning the learning. They're just following orders from the dictator at the front of the class, all in the name of kids won't do something if I tell them to do. Um, And I think that's where, like you said, I think that's where centers comes from is it's, well, they can't do the process. So I'm going to break up the process into these very specific chunks and we never stop and go, well, if we're, so let's talk about writing, for instance, what would, I was about to go into a whole thing before I do that. What would writing look like as a center for you? Okay. So if if you, let's say you were thinking of a, a typical, like you're a teacher wanting to do centers for writing or something, maybe something that you've seen, what would, what would that be? And then I'll say what I was going to say. Okay. So when you're saying, are you saying what I would do or no, just what like I've something, seen? Yeah. Something you've seen. That something might that could might... be taken and moved into centers. Correct. Stations. All right. So, so you could have uh, a station where they just work on introductions. You could have a station where they only work on vocabulary, you know, like, um, I don't know, Greek and Latin root words. Okay. You could have a station where they only work on, they work on grammar. So now they have to parse some sentences. Uh, let's say they're working on prepositional phrases. So they have to find, you know, they have to do like prepositional phrase work. Um, And then they may have another place where they work on the body paragraph and another place where they work on the conclusion. Uh, At some point they have to meet with the teacher to, so the teacher can read over their page to tell them what they did wrong and how they didn't use their prepositions correctly. And where they need to insert a word that uses the Latin word that they talked about that was on the, on the, on the thing. And then what transition words would help them with that introduction paragraph I mean, in their body paragraph, in their conclusion paragraph. I mean, I've seen them do those types of things. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. And so here's the thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I look at that and all of those are fine. All good skills kids need to learn, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> the point that. I try to make it rightfully empowered. And the thing that I lean on so much as someone who writes often is when I write, I don't do any of that. (laughs) (laughs) 
And and I've read a lot of books from writers. I, I've mentioned a thousand times I need everyone to read Stephen King's book on writing. It's part memoir, part his thing about writing. I don't care if you like Stephen King. I don't like 95% of the things Stephen King has written. But that book is incredible. It is a masterclass in in writing advice, in my opinion. Um and it's it's super inspiring and it's down to earth and there's no fluff. And he even says when he starts talking about his writing advice in it, and he goes, he goes, most writing advice is BS, right? Like he just straight up says it. And he <laughs> goes, I'm trying to not give you that part, but I'm sure I do have some of it in here. And I think that's so we we schoolify uh, writing when writing is messy, right? Writing is all over the place. Like you. It's your thoughts going down on paper. And I think that when we try to create these artificial step-by-step, you're going to write your introduction paragraph 50 times and get it approved by a teacher at the center. I think we're teaching kids the wrong thing about writing, and that's why they freaking hate it. They they learn to despise the process because who wants to do that? Like I, if I if if the beginning of something I'm supposed to care about starts with, you don't get to go on until I approve it. What have I just mm-hmm. told you? I've just told you that it doesn't matter what you do. It matters that you follow what I'm telling you because I'm the arbiter of all things. And I got to tell you, most of those starting paragraphs suck. Like they, (laughs) when they're going through this process, I find so many more interesting starts to a piece when I let kids just go and they find interesting starts because it's like, look, you wrote this whole page. Like, well, I don't really feel like I have an intro. Cool. Let's actually analyze this together. Something you've written and go, okay, so how do we start this down? Now that you know what you want to say. Let's go through it. Neil Gaiman has one of my favorite quotes uh, about writing. He talks about writing his first draft, and he says, the rewrite of the draft is writing it as if you knew what you were going to do the whole time. And that's when the nuance, that's when the real planning happens, because writing isn't this 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 completely meticulous thing that you plan out every single detail. It's discovery, right? I follow tons of... Uh, writers groups on social media and there was someone like there was a uh, Amazon review that came out uh, for somebody and it said it sounds like the writer was just making things up as they went along and the guy, and the <laughs> post was like I got bad news for you like <laughs> it's because that's what happens yeah sure having like right. people have plans right if you're writing a research paper you have a plan you have a general idea but you truly don't know what you want to say until you say it You truly don't know what you want to write until you do it. And anyone that's written understands that. You might start out to write something. By the end of it, you're somewhere else. And then that might need a rewrite. You might like the fact that it transitions to something. But you teaching kids to love that process is so much more powerful than saying writing is first you got to have your plan. Your plan has to be approved by someone else. Otherwise, you don't get to act on the plan. And then you're going to start on your intro. And you can't move on from your intro until it's approved. And then after that, you have to write your three-body paragraphs. And it's just on and out. Like, why else? Of course kids don't want to write in your class. Because they're going from center to center doing the bare minimum because you're controlling the whole process. Well, that's a good point. And I think that's why I have difficulty with it personally. I do think there are places where you could use centers. So like, or stations, whatever. I've always called stations, you're calling it centers. So either way, we're talking about the same thing. Just so I just want to make sure that 
I might interchange those words, but uh, a place where I would use it uh, in in my reading situation where I want to build background information, as much background information as I can. So before we actually begin a piece. So I might have a place where there's some pictures that they have to look at that uh, that involve the background, uh, a place where they might have to read a small little article. There may be a place where they have to watch a little video. There may be a place where, um, you know, just I give a little information about the author. But the whole thing is it's all about background information and I need to get it to them as fast as possible so that when we actually begin the reading of something that I really want to look into, they already have all the background that I want to teach them. And that might be a, a way of teaching it without me getting up there and speaking for more than my 10 minute or 15 minute, um, you know, because I can go on a long time about one topic, as we all know, because we do this every week. but. In the classroom, that's not always the best thing. So that might be where I would probably do uh, oh, add that to my workshop. Um, but that's not what workshop is. That's me just having a strategy to help them build background information. Now, I might do the model text, show them the things I want them to see, uh, and then let them loose on whatever they need to do next. Go ahead. Stations is a strategy. Workshop is a practice. Okay. Thoughts? <laughs> so it's a, I like it. Well, because that's what that's, you said it kind of just now you were like, it is a I strategy did. to implement. And that would, that's kind of yeah. what, I think that's the thing. Like we love strategy. Strategies are great. Right. They're, they're amazing to implement. They, there are useful times to bring in mm -hmm. strategies and you should obviously do it but we've said it a lot of times on this podcast and i think this is this i know this is at the core of my belief structure around teaching is we talk about strategies too much we don't talk about the grounding practices of everything we don't talk mm -hmm. about the the core because it's complicated there's there's nuance and there is uh there's a lot of details there that quite frankly, can't be covered in 30 minute sessions or an hour session all the time. I mean, we've done, we've done mm -hmm. over uh, 130 episodes of this podcast. And I still feel like there's more to talk about just on the core practice of workshop alone. Um, right. But I love that concept right there that centers stations is a strategy to accomplish very specific things, but it is not in itself the workshop format. Exactly. And, and I, and I agree with you with it. It's your practice. It's your, it's it's your routine. It's it's how you organize your entire uh, group or your whole entire class. Is that what you mean by practice? Yeah, like the the mm -hmm. practice to me is like the the core of what is driving your pedagogical approach to teaching. Okay. Yeah, and I agree with you there. Definitely. I guess I thought the reason I stared at you for a second is I, th I thought you were going to say philosophy. I was ready for philosophy. <laughs> I was like, that's not the word I was thinking you were going to say. <laughs> I made a prediction and I was wrong. Well, well, and that's uh, that. I, I think that's a good point, too, because philosophy, I think I think that fills I think that that guides your practice. Right. Because mm -hmm. our yeah. philosophy is 
we want kids to authentically engage with literacy and teach them through that authentic engagement. What does that look like right. in practice? It looks like workshop. That's right. No, I agree with you. Um, I think that's why we're kindred in this in this area. <laughs> I'd hope so. <laughs> I think so. I think that's why, though. That's a, lot your of, people. a lot of hours of our. Uh... That's, that's how you find your people. It is. Well, and uh, truthfully, uh -huh. like, you know, our Patreon people who are all in this, you know, we make the joke all the time and they've said it, too, is like it's like a, you know, we're we feel a lot of us feel like we're kind of on this little island and workshop is definitely mm -hmm. not at the forefront of literacy conversations right now, which, you know, it is what it is. Like, we're not fad chasers. Like the reason why we're so engaged in this topic is because we've seen so much success with it. Right. Um, but even with that. And you can speak to this more than I can, but even in my eight years in education, I have already, I have faced the inevitable troll demon of someone either questioning workshop, denying its validity, or saying workshop is really something that it's not, you know? Being like, oh, you need kids to do authentic tasks. Okay, well, they can't sit there and write for 30 minutes, so I'm going to break this up into five different stations where they're doing all these different things. I'm like, how are you, how is going from writing intro sentences to working on vocabulary to doing outlines all within one class period or two class periods or three class periods where they rotate, how is that an authentic way to write? Like, and, and I guess the counter argument would be, well, I'm teaching them the processes so they can do that alone. And I'm like, why does the process have to be taught that way? Like what, what evidence do you have that it has to be taught that way? Well, when you're talking about process I, and you mentioned Stephen King and you mentioned that you have looked into other authors and so have I, I'm not, I've, I've even talked to some, but I mean, just when you do an author's research and you find out their writing experiences where you find interviews about them talking about their writing processes, nobody has the same exact process. So why would we want to mold our students to be exactly like us, like our own mini-me's? I mean, they don't need to do my process, right? I think my job is to give them the, as you said earlier, find themselves the opportunity to find what process works for them. I think for me, I like to show them different types of processes. I even take time and I have been known to take time. And that is to actually show them authors. I've, I've, no, I've been known to do that. I don't think I've done that this year. I've done it a little bit, but not like where we do a whole entire study on different authors and their processes. When I taught um, when I had to teach English all by itself, when it was isolated, it was isolated. And so what I did, it, I didn't have it as a, you know, I didn't have reading. They isolated us. And so that's what I really would do. Um, I lost my train of thought all of a sudden. That's when I would actually do author studies where we would actually look at the authors, look at their processes, see what they do. And then I would have them experiment with them. Anyway, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Well, and I think this is interesting. And this is actually a, a an interesting market of authors right now because they... Like Kwame Alexander, 
right? Author of Crossover, Swing, uh, all those books, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, if people haven't read Crossover, don't read it out loud to your kids. You'll cry. I cried every single time. I the last every time I book read it, I. I'm sorry, I'm talking over you, but every book I've ever read, I cried. So the kids that finally were like, there she goes again. Miss Ochoa crying. I know. Anyway, See, it's different for me. I don't cry. And so <laughs> I, reading the, reading the crossover with my students, I, I remember I just like broke down when, you know, I get spoiler alert. If you don't want a spoiler for the book, this is your chance. I'll be done in a second. <sighs> when the dad dies, the way it's written yes. is so freaking powerful and it's done so, i mean it's it's an ex it literally is it's a it's a textbook way to do a death like that and it is it gets me every time and i read it out loud and i had kids going oh my god just crying just do you hear that just just he's crying a little bit i was like oh. <laughs> all right spoiler over anyway incredible i didn't but- know that that happened <laughs> i'm oh kidding <laughs> so Kawami Alexander, he's a really good example because he's actually written books that are geared towards teaching kids how to write. Right. And that's more and more. Uh, uh, Ralph Fletcher has done some similar stuff. Jeff Anderson, he hasn't really written that way, but he's done like a lot of his work is kind of geared towards that. Right. And so. I love the idea of learning from writers and I love listening to writers talk about writing. It's one of my favorite things to do. Actually, um, the author of outlander, I don't know her name. Uh, and I've never read the books. I've never seen the TV show. Um, but I love listening to her talk about writing cause she's really interesting. She's a, like, she's very meticulous and there's a, there's a great interview where she talks about going through kind of like the editing process. The author of Goldfinch um, is really interesting the way she talks about writing. I, I love listening. Like I said, I love listening to Stephen King. I love his book, but he has so many videos out there where he talks about writing and li- like listening to how he talked about it in the 80s and then listening to how he talks about it now is so fascinating because a lot of it's similar and a lot of it has changed. But it's there's there's a core that's just really, really fascinating. Listen to Clive Barker. He wrote um, a lot of people know him from his horror stuff like Hellraiser and stuff. But he's Mm -hmm. he's 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 moved on to like almost like fantastical, magical realism, fantasy stuff like later. He's really right anymore. But that's what he did. And I love listening to him talk about it because the way he talks about writing and the way he talks about literature and story is so fascinating to me. And I think that like. There should almost be in writing curriculum, there should be dedicated time to like listening or reading articles about how writers think about writing and and just their their thought processes. I think there's there's infinite value in just listening to people that have made it to publishing give you honest advice about what they do. Oh, no, I agree with you. And and that's what. Uh, and there's a lot of interviews that are out there. Uh, you mentioned Kwame Alexander, and he talks about where he found a particular word. And it's just neat for the kids, especially if they've read the, the author and they like them. Uh, yeah, Jason Reynolds. Video. Yeah. And Jason Reynolds. And he talks about what it's like to find an idea. Um, you know, you're looking at. Um, oh, um 
uh, you you popped your names out really fast. I'm still trying to think about mine. But anyway, Lois Lowry, you know, she talks yeah. about in her Newberry Award speeches uh, where she finds her ideas and how she pulls those ideas from her own personal life to deal with some really heavy things that have happened to her. Uh, you know, when you're you're looking at. Um, oh, who, who wrote uh, Kate? Uh, who wrote Win Dixie all of a sudden? Uh, DiCamillo. Uh, yeah, DiCamillo. Yeah. And, and there's, there's where they've interviewed her and it's just precious when she talks about how in, um, the one, the last one that we did, and I, I did it with your, the, the flying squirrel, you know, that one. Yep. And, uh, she talks about how her, she got the idea for the vacuum was actually from her mother. It was a memory from her mother. And so, uh, the vacuum cleaner. And so that's kind of, uh, that's in the book. And so she, that's one of the things that she talks about. So it's just kind of fascinating. And so then you can, so then you take something like that and you say, okay, look around your house today. Are there any ideas just floating in your house? Bring them tomorrow and let's investigate. So Ray Bradbury, and I, I want everyone to go watch this cause it's incredible. He's another one, obviously he's passed, but one of the greatest writers of our time, um, mm -hmm. truly a, a legendary author. He, I love him talking about writing because he, he talks about it in such a workman way. He came from the time when like to be a published author, you had like you like you had to write tons of short stories and have all of these publishing credits to become a published author. That's not the case anymore because short stories don't get published as much anymore. Like there's some right. side stuff, but most people just jump to the novel these days. Um, but he talked about his first published short story was based when he was a kid, he was at the beach and a girl went out into the ocean and never came back. <sighs> and so he wrote a story years later with that idea. And that was his first like officially published short story. Um, and it's, if it wasn't, I, I might be misremembering that it might not be his first, but it was one of his earlier ones. I know he has a, there's a video out there where he, he talks about, going through that process and him reflecting on that and then it becoming the short story that it became. Right. And it's stuff like that, that I think is really fascinating for kids to read because I think, and my, my work with young writers is teaching them every idea is a worthy idea to write about. It's just a matter of, can you connect to it enough to bring the emotion to the page? Can you actualize whatever the idea is right. Like JK Rowling wasn't the first author to write about a magical school for kids. Right. She was the first one who right. did it in such a specific way that it took off. Right. Right. There, you know, Stephen King wasn't the first horror writer, but he was the first one to write in a way that engaged people on such a visceral level. Um, and truthfully, most of his is is just him, right? Once you know his story, like Misery, an author who gets trapped by a fan who wants him to write something specific and he's being abused by her and controlled by her, that was him dealing with his fame. The fact that the fans wanted something specific from him, right? He talks about Cujo, uh, you know, the dog who is is rabid and crazy or whatever. He doesn't even remember writing that novel because he was so high on cocaine. And he talks about how like that that's a clear representation of 
him battling this monster, this dog that won't leave him alone. And it's breaking in, you know, it's hitting the glass and it's it's pounding against his surroundings. I mean, there, there's so many like that, that stuff, like, I mean, obviously when show that to elementary kids, but like those pieces, like finding these nuggets of how authors share ideas and where they came from and how they write and what their process is like, guess what they don't say. You know, I sit over here at three o'clock and I work on vocabulary. I go here at four o'clock and I write my intro sentences. It doesn't happen like that. And I, and we've referenced our parking lot talk, but it's one of my favorite conversations you and I ever had because we were walking out at the, at the end of the day. And I said, Ochoa, what does it look like to do the work of school, meaning grades, curriculum, standards, but still honor what it means to authentically write. And I think that has driven almost every single conversation you and I have. And I think it's infinitely fascinating to find out how that works in every classroom. Mm -hmm. So that is where it's difficult for teachers because it's not something that's easily, I mean, I can't put that, I don't know if you can put it in a manual or not and just hand it to them, but it's, it's almost, it's, it's something that takes a long time to actually do effectively. Uh, and that's to still honor the writing process while you get all the grades. That's usually one of the, when, when I actually, you know, do these workshops and stuff, that's one of the first questions, well, where am I going to get the grades? If I'm going to have them all different places, where am I going to get the grades? And so that's, I think that's another reason why people do stations, because now I get a station grade for this one and a grade for this one and a grade for that one. And now I have all my, my quota for grades that the administration wants me to have. And, but I don't, I, I do think uh, the students at the end will end up maybe not always realizing it, but will be disenfranchised. Yeah. So. Well, and that, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I think, with all of this, you, whatever practice you're doing, whatever strategy you're doing, if kids are resistant to it, if they are struggling to find why they're doing something, if you figure, if you feel like you're fighting an uphill battle, there's probably something that needs to be tweaked. They probably don't own enough of it. And I'm not saying workshop is perfect, right? I'm not saying like, oh, give kids choice and freedom and all of a sudden they're going to be attached to it. No, there's, you have to guide their thinking. You have to guide them to attachment. But that's where I think conferencing comes in. I think showing them, so uh, showing them a piece that resonates with them. Cool. You have them do a write with it. Awesome. You're trying to get kids to find a topic to write about. Talking with them, knowing who they are, guiding them to do to get to that level. It takes time and it's a process and it's not easy. And I think people get scared about that. They're like, oh, my God, we have to do this. They have chosen topics, blah, 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 blah. But if you trust that process and you get them there. They're going to care. I have seen kids who absolutely positively 1000 percent hate writing love something that they finished because they actually cared about the topic every single year I've taught. Yeah. And I think that also applies to novels. I mean, I can't tell you, um, 
you know, people are like, let's not do whole novels. Let's do, you know, pieces of novels in a station. But anyway, really, truly. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the thing is, is, you know, you know, I've kind of I do a whole novel. And I cannot tell you how many times this year alone not just in my class, but in uh, in other classes, but I like going and cover things like that. And they're like, Mr. Cho, you remember that book that we read? Oh my gosh, that's a great book. And, and I mean, they, they are proud of the fact that they actually finished an entire book. That's part of why they like it. They've never gone through an entire book and finished one. And so because they actually finished one and we, and I share the same experience because I finished it with them right? Then now they have somebody they can talk to. And now you try to replicate that, but replicate that with the type of writing that or the reading that they're doing. Uh, and so then you, you know, I allow the kids to talk, you know, tell each other about your books. Well, they love doing that. And then, but then what happens is a lot of times they'll get, they'll start finishing books, but it's because I know we did read a novel that's, you know, all together, but then they're also on the side reading another novel or another book of their choice. So we have more than one book. So I'm modeling and yet they're doing it, but they at least finished one full book. And what it does is it spurs them on to read other books. But because I, like you said, I conference with them about the things that they like, the fact that they liked that book, that lets me know maybe something else I can help them find. Um, but this conversation, me going in and listening to them read, listening, uh, talking to them about the reading, it also allows me to find stuff that they read. And I give them time to read things that they want to read. I save the other for like my mini lesson and then we'll, we'll read together some. But even when we're doing that, they still have that moment in time where they read their self silent, sustained reading. Time. I don't, I don't forego that. And I don't forego writing time no matter what. And then in that I'm conferencing with them. So I agree with you on that. Good Lord. This is what I miss. I miss this. People are like, you miss the classroom. I do. I do miss <laughs> going through the process. I love helping and doing all the things I'm doing right now. Don't get me wrong, but there's a there's a magic to that energy of a workshop when kids are writing mm -hmm. and they're they're enjoying what they're doing and things are flowing and you're conferencing and every conversation's different and you're finding all the nuances to talk about and all the word choices and going from sentence structure to whole structure to titles it's there's an energy unlike anything else and i think that truthfully and, and this is kind of a probably a wrap up piece to this is okay you have to, I mean, you ultimately decide what's right for your class. I, we've always said not, people don't all, workshop doesn't have to be the be all end all. It happens to be what we love and what we advocate for. So don't get us wrong if you're someone new and you haven't heard those those caveats that we give all the time. But I, I think there's nothing more powerful than the workshop process for literacy. I think it empowers kids to own their learning. I think with a teacher who is passionate about what they do and takes the time to put in the work, you can guide kids through their reading, through their writing, through the workshop process. I think stations, centers, whatever we want to call it, is a strategy that can be implemented occasionally. But I think when we start mixing and matching what all of these terms mean, I think it just loses value. I think honestly and truthfully on a bigger level, I think it's a little disrespectful to the people who put in the work to really to to 
to do the initial research on what all of this was, you know, the Donald Graves and Lucy Calkins and everyone and uh, Donald Murray and people who who really did the effort to think about what a workshop could look like for writing and reading. And, you know, the people who took it that and transformed it like Nancy Atwell and Penny Kill and Kelly Gallagher and Jeff Anderson and Ralph Fletcher and Laura Robb, like all of these amazing educators have kind of brought this legacy through the decades. And I feel like, we're so hungry for quick fixes in education. We're so hungry for sudden changes because of the apparent, uh, you know, dystopia that people want to believe education is right now that I think we lose a lot of these, these bigger pieces. You know, people talk about wanting to change education. How about we change education? Stop talking about strategy and stop talking about actual practice. And, you know, this, the science of reading gets brought up into this too. And, you know, we, we, we approach this in various ways on the show, but the, I, I think that's fine. We should talk about those things, but we should also like that whole conversation has a nuanced level to it. That isn't addressed all the time because people just want clicks. They want retweets. They want, uh, they want shares. They want all of these things. And it's just, I'm just over it. Like I really am. Like, I just want I mean, this is why you and I, you're like, I don't think we I, we would still have these conversations regardless of if it was a podcast or not. And it's it comes from us just we're so passionate about this that we like we still talk through it. We still care about it. We still want to know the ins and outs of it. We want to know what works and what doesn't work. And we want to talk about all the details. And I think there's just not enough of that. And I think that that is what frustrates me about the the conversation about what workshop is or stations or whatever. It's just like, you know, I, I just I feel like not a lot of people respect the people that have kind of come before and respect the the time it takes to be a good teacher. I don't know. I, I feel like that's another topic, but that's where my brain is at after talking about all of this. I'm with you. So. Have we exhausted our thoughts tonight or? I think we have. Ochoa, this is, we our intro <laughs> and outros are not good that. today. <laughs> I know. That's a, that's a whole different conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Pamela Trump, Jacob Chastain. We are two educators down in the state of Texas doing what we love and talking about reading and writing literacy and so much more. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like ramblings, if you like us going deep on random topics, having questions, philosophical conversations, and so much more, subscribe so you don't miss anything. We drop an episode every single Friday. If you want more than that, though, jump over to our Patreon page, and it really is a special place. We drop videos. We're about to drop a brand new one as of recording this. It'll be out before you even hear this. So if you want to go check out the video where we pick out a model text based on a standard, go do it. We walk through our thought process on there. I think it's pretty useful. We have other videos such as our craft and draft video that teaches you the craft and draft journal system and we have tons of bonus episodes that you can get access to but if you can't do that if you don't have any money to toss our way subscribe leave a review let other people know how we're doing but before i go i want to tell you that this episode only exists because matt jen Lori, hannah andrea tracy susan natalie Lori, destiny melissa carol courtney rebecca sarah amy mark leah brandy and alicia support us over there on our patreon page so thank you so much for doing that thank you for keeping the podcast alive thank you for listening and know that we are here for you